Well, happy Easter. Thank you so much for being here. You're awesome. You'd, you'd never know we had nine other services with full auditoriums, would you? This is crazy. But uh, for those of you who are in our overflow areas, in the activity center, in the underground, and all around the campus, it's just a thrill to have you here. And here's the good news. If you're in the overflow, I can't spit on you. So it's a... Uh, <laughs> It's terrific to have you here as we celebrate Easter weekend. And Easter weekend highlights something that every single one of us need as human beings, hope. I mean, we all need it. And I know you'd expect to, to hear that from a pastor in a church on Easter weekend. It sounds like such a spiritual issue, so we come to get our little spiritual dose and then we go out. But, but hope isn't just a spiritual issue. Hope is an essential need of humanity. In fact, this last week, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal entitled, An Emotion We Need More Of by Elizabeth Bernstein. And, and I just want to quote it for you. She said, research shows hope is a crucial element of our physical and mental well-being. People who have a higher level of hope have healthier habits. They sleep and exercise more. They eat more healthy foods, they have fewer colds, less hypertension and diabetes, and are more likely to survive cancer and have less depression. I want my doctor to write a prescription for hope. Seriously, hope's the deal. Hope like oxygen that we breathe is indispensable to our human lives, and yet, if we're really honest with each other, hope's not all that easy to find in this world. I mean, when you look around and you see what's going on, there's very little to, to grasp onto that can give you hope, right? And, and even when you find a little bit of hope, it's so quickly lost. When that great thing happens and it breathes life back into you, it's, it's met with another disappointment. It's met with another crisis, another tragedy, uh, another great loss. And... And because we know that any moment of hope is going to be faced with, with the death of something in our life, it's just easy not ever to buy into it and to grasp it. Well, what you need to know is that the empty tomb changed all that. Because the empty tomb, once and for all, gave us a hope that can meet any challenge, any tragedy, and even can help us to face down death not with despair, but with hope. Uh, Mary Magdalene is a woman that God allows us to meet up with in the Bible. And, and the Bible tells us that she was a woman who had been controlled by seven demons. She, she, the, words, the number seven is really the, the number for completion. So it was like this woman was completely messed up. It, it doesn't get any worse than where she was at. She was experiencing the lowest of the low that you can experience in this life. And, and we don't know what her demons were, but, but if we're honest, we can relate to her. Because don't we all fight our own demons? Don't we all have battles that rage within us that rob us of the life that we know that we were intended for? Of course we do. Well, that's who she was, but she experienced something that forever changed her. She experienced what I like to call a brush with Jesus. By a brush with Jesus, I mean, you know, a, a moment where she really met him and experienced him, uh, where she experienced his touch in her life, and he freed her from all that held her hostage before. I mean, 
literally transformed her from hopeless to hope. And it was an amazing moment. Look at how Mark introduces us to Mary Magdalene. Chapter 16, the end of verse 9. Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She had been as messed up as you can be, but now, having met Jesus, no longer messed up. He gave this woman, who had no hope, a hope that totally changed her life. And all he was doing was exactly what he promised he would do. I know we're always surprised by what Jesus does, but he was just doing what he said he was going to do. I mean, look at John 10.10. 10. He, he says, the thief, the evil one, you know, the one who authored the demons and the battles in her life, he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he's trying to do is destroy us and mess us up and rob us of, of life. But Jesus says, but I've come that you can have life and have it in all of its fullness. I mean, so she, she finally found it, right? She finally found it, hope. This is hope. This isn't short-term. This is long-term, so she thought. And then, well, then Jesus died. Can you imagine the tragedy of that? I mean, she finally found the one that she thought was the source of life, and it turned out that he couldn't even keep his own life. I mean, he's dead. He was no different than any other giver of hope back then, it would seem. His hope was just as temporary and just as empty in the end as... All other hopes. I mean, he died. But then, and this is the great, great thing about Easter. Easter is the great but then. But then he did something that had never been done before. No one would have ever expected. And it's never had to have been done again because he made it possible for all of us. But then he conquered death. He, he rose from the dead. And here's the truth that I think that we can capture and really relate with in the 21st century. When we experience the hope of Jesus, unlike the hopes we experience in this world that satisfy for a moment and then they're gone and quickly disappear, but when we experience the hope of Jesus, it changes everything, not just now, but forever, and not just in the face of the easy stuff, but even in the face of death. His hope is forever. And Peter, one of the first followers of Jesus, discovered this. P Peter denied Jesus in Jesus' crisis moment. Jesus entrusted him with his greatest friendship, and Peter said, I love you more than anyone, and I'll stand for you. I'll even die for you. And then when the t going got tough, Peter denied Jesus, and he felt shame and guilt and emptiness. He, he thought, oh, I, there's no hope for me. But then Jesus rose from the dead, and he found that Jesus' hope doesn't depend on us being perfect. Jesus' hope is based upon who he is. To have his hope doesn't mean that we have to measure up. It means that we have hope because he measured up. And he found in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 4, something that we need. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth. Literally, a new beginning, a new life. And he's, he's, he's given us a birth into a living hope. Not a transient hope or a temporary hope. But a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that can't perish, spoil, or fade away. No one can take it for you because God's keeping it in heaven for you. There's power in the hope of Jesus. Here's the thing. We all need hope. It's essential for life. And the empty tomb provides it for all of us. As we celebrate Easter, I wanted to show you the power of Jesus' hope because not all of us have experienced it and maybe some of us have touched the hem of the garment of it but we haven't continued to walk in it. I, I want to show you the power of Jesus' hope from three different perspective in Mary Magdalene's story because I believe you'll find at least one of these relating to your life and your view. 
The first perspective is pretty simple, and I think necessary, I know for me, probably for you, she went from being a person that no one would ever choose for anything to being the person that Jesus chose first. Did you know what it's like to be betrayed, to be cast aside, to be considered unimportant by other people? Do you, do you know what that's like? To have people look past you to someone they think's important? She found that Jesus chose her first. Jesus chose her first to experience his resurrection, the first. I mean, he could have chose anybody. He could have chose, you know, Caesar if he wanted to. He could have chosen any powerful person on the planet or any spiritual person on the planet. But, but he chose this woman who had been filled with seven demons. Are you kidding me? Look, look at how Mark tells us it in chapter 16, verse 9 again. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. I don't know about you, but I... I often, because I view myself through my failures and my weaknesses, I often think that I would be the last God would ever choose. Don't you feel like that? Don't you feel like, won't be me. Might as well not even stand in line. But he chose her first. He chooses us all. And, and he chose her first to carry the responsibility of sharing it with others. You'd think he would have chosen Peter, you know, the guy was going to go on and be one of his major dudes. Or you'd think he would have chosen someone like important that had a had an influence to share it with, but no, he, he chose her. Look at John 20, 17. He, he said, you now need to go tell my disciples, go tell my brothers that I've risen. He chose Mary Magdalene to go tell Peter and John and Matthew, the disciples, the hand-picked guys, and he rose. Uh, the entire message had been entrusted to a woman who had once been filled with seven demons. Do you know what this should mean to us today? Because of the hope of Jesus... Our failures and our weaknesses don't have to define us. And I don't know about you, but I, I have a hard time on a daily basis not seeing myself through the lens of my failures and weaknesses. And, and I don't know if this is true of you, but I have a lot of people in my life who like to remind me of my weaknesses and failures. Any of you have people like that? But, but the, the empty tomb says we no longer have to be defined by that. Those aren't our limits. We're not limited by our weaknesses and failures anymore. They, our failures aren't final. In fact, the resurrection can make our weaknesses and failures totally irrelevant. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says it straight up. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. I don't know what you've experienced in life. I don't know how others have defined you or how you define yourself. I, I don't know what's holding you back, but I know... You have weaknesses and failures. But here's the good news. The empty tomb is a powerful hope that means you can move forward. Those aren't anchors to you. The second perspective I get from her experience with the resurrection was that it changed the way she looked at herself and it changed the way she looked at her world even when she still encountered disappointments and difficulties. And, and this is important because... The, the way we see ourselves and the way we see the world often is very limiting to us. I mean, we, we don't do a lot of things because what we've experienced before. Like, if we've ever had someone make a promise and break a promise, we very often don't trust the promise anymore. We become very cynical and very skeptical, right? And the experiences that we've had define how we see the world. But, but the hope of Jesus can change all of that. You see, before the resurrection, she looked at all of her life and all of the world in despair. We see it in John 20, 11. 
Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb. I mean, everything. Even though she had him touch her life, now he died. She's seeing everything through the lens of despair. And she was grieving without hope. And it made sense. I mean, this one that was her last chance at life, it seemed, had been betrayed by someone close to him, had been tried and lied about and found guilty, had been beaten to a pulp and then had been nailed to a cross, and this one who was supposedly the creator of the world, the author of life, died. I mean, it doesn't get much more final than that. Her world would have been turned upside down, and in the world she knew, it was a world with no empty tombs. There was nothing that could have changed it. Do you know all she had available was despair? Reminds me a lot of our world where people feel like all they have is despair. Watch one 24-hour news cycle of news and you know all we have is despair. But then she experienced the resurrection. And she stopped looking at it through eyes of despair. Instead of she looked at it through eyes of hope. Look at John 20, 18. This is just seven verses later. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And, and she told them everything he said to her. But you know when she says, I've seen the Lord, you know what she's saying, right? He's alive. We thought hope was gone and he was no different, but he's alive. He's not only different, but hope is still alive. And I mean, it just transformed her world. And here's what we need to see. The power of Jesus' hope could change this woman's life forever. And it can do the same for us. But here's the question. Which Mary are you most like? Are you most like the Mary despairing or are you most like the Mary filled with hope? It all depends upon whether or not you're looking at life through the hope of Jesus or not. Are you? There's a third perspective that I find and that's, it just makes sense. She saw Jesus dead. She saw him buried in that tomb and the rock rolled in front of it. I mean, she saw it. And then she saw him alive. You know, do you realize that she could never see death in the same way again? Never. I, she now knew death wasn't the end, not even close. And this is important because you do know after that first Easter, people kept dying, right? Do you know everyone she loved died? Everyone she cared about died. Every one of her friends died. Everyone that she followed and respected, even in the church, died. And, and she ultimately died. But we still face death, right? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. It's kind of the end game here. But she could never see death through the same lens again because Jesus overcame it. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 19, and 20. Paul, Paul got this. He says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. I mean, if we only have hope in this life, but it doesn't count when we face a big obstacle like death, then what a useless thing that is. But he says, but we do have Hope in Christ, not just for now. He's been raised from the dead. And I'm the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. He's simply saying, I'm the example of what will happen to every single person who trusts me. Even death doesn't keep you from life. He said it in John 11, 25 and 26. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He says. You know what he's saying? Even if you die, you're going to still live in me, which means you never really die at all. Now that's hope when you know that as tragic as physical death is, in Jesus it only leads to your next step into life 
beyond anything you can comprehend. Now there's a life-transforming hope. The mind-blowing power of the hope of Jesus is that it gives us hope even in the face of death. But let's be honest. This is a story about a woman who lived 2,000 years ago. Doesn't feel too relevant to me. Sometimes it's hard to relate to someone from way back then because it's like, yeah, it was different back then and people didn't have the education we have and people didn't know what we know and, you know, it, it, does, it doesn't work today. Wrong. We thought we'd share with you a story of a woman who's a part of our Northridge family who can really relate to Mary Magdalene's story. And then she found the power of the empty tomb. Her name is Diane Pesci. One night in the summer, we had a really bad storm. It was raining and lightning, and we were all supposed to take cover and go in the basement. And uh, I went outside. I cried out with everything I had to whoever was up there. Put my hands up and asked him for the lightning to just strike me and take me now. Here I am. Come and get me. You know, God had other plans for me. I met Marco when I was in high school. We dated three years. After I graduated, I didn't want to be his girlfriend anymore because I wanted to find out what else was out there. I thought I knew everything. So I experimented with using drugs. Um, it didn't seem like it was a big deal, you know. So when I got back together with Marco, um, I wasn't using at the time. And it was like we started our relationship new again. He had started his own jewelry business and um, everything was going great. It was like, wow. I have this now. This is it's like your whole new life. Got married, had a house. The following year, I had my first child, a little boy. I always felt the need to escape. I would drink, you know, in secret. Marco had no idea of that side of me. Three years later, so 1993, I had a, a daughter. I mean, it was great. I loved being with my new baby and everything. But after a little while, it didn't satisfy me. It was fun, but I wanted more fun. So I started drinking again. <laughs> and I also started using drugs again. One night, my husband came home and found me. So that was when he first found out. All these years later, imagine his surprise. He got me uh, in to see doctors to get me back to feeling good without using anything and so we worked through that and um, I had my third child little girl one day I had just finished you know cleaning up the kitchen and I remember standing there at the island just looking at everything and saying is this all there is I mean how can I have all this and there's still something missing, like, I have everything. So, I went on another binge. 
Well, I hid it from them, but I couldn't hide it from my oldest son. He figured it out, and oh, one day he called his daddy. Michael is like beyond furious, like no more, that's it. So I stopped, went to more meetings, went to, I did everything. I'm around people who are trying to get better and some are not trying to get better. And then if you're a little bit weak, somebody's gonna take you with them. I would go for days at a time using and drinking and come home seven in the morning and be afraid to go in my house. So I would sleep in my car sleep in my car, in my driveway. <laughs> How do I let them see me, really? I'm the mom. There's nothing I could do that would keep me from using at that, at that point. So I went into a residential treatment program because there was nothing else. It's either this or that's it, bye. Marco gave me, uh, before I went into treatment, a plaque that um, I have on my refrigerator. It's about faith. And he gave me a Bible and it was kind of odd getting that from him. That was the little seed that helped me keep going. So September, October, November, um, and then December. The Saturday, right before Christmas. Um, my kids were coming to visit me. I had that Saturday with my kids. I called my son into my room. My daughters were out playing with the other women. And I talked to him and told him, I don't want you to think this is your fault. And he said, I know, Mom. And I hugged him. <laughs> so Marco comes back to pick them up. And he brought me slices of my favorite pizza. <laughs> Ain't that something? And they got in the car. They're waving. <laughs> that was the last time I saw them. Successful businessman and father, Marco Pesci, his three children, and his mother, dead. And the motive is robbery. This is probably the worst crime I've seen in 27 years. Investigators say Pesci, his kids, 12-year-old Carlo, 9-year-old Sabrina, and 6-year-old Melissa, as well as his mother, visiting from Italy, died Saturday evening. The house ransacked. The bodies were discovered in Pesci's St. Martin Street home Sunday afternoon. It's a crime that has gripped a community and left a family and friends with a great loss. Everything I knew was gone. Nothing. There's nothing, no words. No words to be said. And even when I prayed, there were no words. Only 90 days clean. My whole family is murdered. And not once 
did the thought of using drugs or drinking alcohol come into my head? I, I don't even know. All these circumstances, well, I think it's a good reason to go and have a drink, but it wasn't in my head to drink. It, was, it wasn't there anymore. My focus was, I, I ran to God. I said, I'll do anything. What do you want me to do? I'm not a wife anymore. I wasn't a mother anymore. I wasn't anything anymore. I just felt like a nothing. I just wanted to learn more about God, about Jesus. There's an eternity, really? God can forgive me? He did all this. Remove the guilt. Give me a new heart. My heart wasn't good. <laughs> it was a really broken heart. So my sister would come and pick me up every Saturday and take me to church. Um, I mean, I just needed to go there. It was a need. I had to know. I had to have something, you know, for why I'm still here. What I didn't know in the kitchen back then, I just, I found it in the worst circumstances possible. But Jesus changed something in me. It was like I can start fresh. And I'll tell you, from that day forward, uh, it was just, I had my smile from ear to ear. It was just, it was freedom. There's, you know, really bad seasons, really sad seasons. And it doesn't stop just because it's this far down the road. <laughs> if there was no Jesus, I would totally not be alive right now because I didn't want to be alive. And I'm drug-free for almost 14 years. Yay! <laughs> no amount of self-knowledge, self-will, nothing could do it. I just took Jesus, that's all. Without Jesus, there's nothing to hold on to. What keeps me going, what keeps me walking and breathing is knowing that my God loves me, Jesus forgave me, took away my sin, rose so we can have life. That is, that's what I live for. If, if we have life, my children have life, that means I get to see them again. First of all, I get to see Jesus. waiting for me. Anybody listening can see exactly what God can do for you. He took me through every storm and I'm still here. I mean, can you imagine? Could you experience the lower of the low than that? I mean, seriously. Without the empty tomb, the only thing she would have had available to her is despair. She even said it, without Jesus, I mean, I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have wanted to be here. But, but she didn't have to deal with a life without that kind of hope because there is an empty tomb. And when she discovered the power of Jesus, she discovered exactly what Mary discovered, what everyone discovers when they find him, what he promised. He, he said it, look, at the, the thief is here to steal, kill, and destroy. That's where all the disappointments and all the difficulties and all the junk comes from. But, but I've come to give you life 
and life to the full. And you say, but how, how can she have hope when her family died? Because <laughs> Jesus swallowed up death in the resurrection. Swallowed it up. And she knows that, that they did not stop living when they left this planet. They started living in Jesus' presence to be absent from this body, to be present with the Lord. And we know this because when she was in the recovery house, she, her, her husband Marco brought the kids to Northridge and we got to be a part of their spiritual journey. And we know for a fact that each and every one of them put faith in Jesus. They told us so. In fact, I got a, a card from Marco, her husband, shortly before, about a month before he died. And it said that it had changed his life. It said that he had found the relevance of God's truth in his life. And, and I'm going to tell you, I've kept this on my desk for 14 years now because I never want to forget that someone here this weekend might not be here next weekend, no matter how old or young they are. And, and we need to offer hope, and that's what we offer right now, the hope of Jesus. This church can do nothing for you, but Jesus can transform your life. Do you realize when, when Jesus stepped out of that tomb, it was so you could step into hope? And, and yet many people don't step into that hope, and they don't step into that hope because they just don't recognize that Jesus is alive. They, they, they view, as Mary did, life through cynicism and skepticism and doubt and through their experiences. Their whole life's defined by that. Do you realize even after Jesus rose, Mary was weeping at the tomb. She was weeping at an empty tomb in despair because she didn't know it. But when she saw Jesus alive, that's when it transformed her. And a lot of us are doing the same thing. Yes, there's darkness in this world. And it's not because Jesus didn't rise. It's because many people are yet to experience the light of his resurrection. But we don't have to live in that despair. 1 John 5 tells us how we can know the hope. It says, he that has the Son, verse 11, has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. And then it says, these things have been written, verse 13, so that those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God can know that you have eternal life. You see, when we experience the hope of Jesus, it doesn't just change us now, it changes us forever. Why don't you step into that change? We're going to move into worship, and just before we do, I'm going to invite you just to bow with me in a word of prayer. Would you just honor the moment for those of you in our overflow areas, Activity Center and the underground, here in the auditorium, if you just bow in a moment of prayer. I just really want to encourage you, if you're already a follower of Jesus, to evaluate whether you've been more like the Mary of despair or the Mary of hope. If you know Jesus, you should be viewing your life in this world through hope. And if you don't yet know Jesus, this can be your moment. I'm going to pray, and I want to invite you to take the words in my prayer and make them the expression of your heart to God, just quietly to God. Just say, Jesus, I need that kind of hope. I've blown it. I've failed. I fight my own demons and my own battles. I've sinned against you but I believe that you died on that cross to forgive me and rose again to give me new life. And so I'm calling on you by faith to save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, just before we move into worship, if you prayed with me, 
it would be such a valuable thing if you shared it with us. And yes, it'd be an encouragement to us. We've prayed for you. We work hard to share hope with you. It'd be a great encouragement to know that you took this step into hope. But, but that's not why we want you to share it with us. We've put together a letter about next steps that you can take to grow your relationship with God. Not religious stuff, just truly grow a relationship with God. And, and we just need to know you prayed with me or you desire to get that. And so in the program we gave you, this is here in Plymouth at all three of our regional campuses, we, we've given you this. And uh, all you have to do is tear out the perforated connection card. It's on the back of the letter my wife and I wrote in the program. And, and you fill it out, and on the bottom, there's this rectangular square box with two statements that you can check as true of you. The first one says that you prayed with me to receive Jesus for the very first time. Now, a lot of times people are confused by that because a lot, a lot of you grew up in religious environments. And so you prayed before, you know, you've... You've gone to catechism, maybe. You've taken communion. You were baptized as an infant. But, you know, a lot of that stuff was done to you. You were, you were raised to do those things. But maybe this is the first time you said, this is real to me now, and I'm opening my life to him now. That would be that first step. Check that off if you prayed with me that way. Many of you had already had a relationship with God, but you haven't been defined by hope but by despair, and you prayed with me in order to, to move forward, and you renewed your commitment. Would you check that second circle and... And just check that off. And then we have boxes at every single exit. It's so easy. You just throw it in there and we'll send you a letter about next steps that you can take. Remember that card that I got from Marco? It was a response. And I knew about his decision and what was going on. And, and I tell you what, he was able to move beyond some things because he communicated with us. I hope that you'll do the same thing. And because we so vitally and valuably want to help you move forward, we as a church always take God's truth and we try and communicate it and 21st century relevant ways. We're always trying to help you to know how to live today based upon God's truth. That's a, what we exist for. We communicate with the arts and creativity. This, this isn't that unique of a service. You know what I mean? Obviously, Easter's Easter, but we always express truth through the arts. And if you're looking for a place where you can grow, please come back. Seriously, come back and to one of our campuses. In fact, next weekend, I'm starting a series on a book of the Bible, I'm going to go all the way through the book from beginning to end. It's the most practical book in the New Testament, really. It gives wise principles for everyday living that cover all of life. Um, it was written by a guy we know as St. James, but that's not 21st century language, right? St. James. So we're going to call the series, are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Jim. And uh, <laughs> uh, we want you to come back next weekend as we dig into Jim's book. And... Uh, Learn some principles for living. We hope that you will. And, and uh, also, for those of you in our overflow areas, we're so grateful for you. We're so thankful for you. And for all of you who would love to share this service with friends, it's already on our website, northridge.com, on on-demand talks. And you can be sharing the entire service with friends all around the world. And, and I hope that you will. But you know what happens when, like Mary, you find Jesus' hope out of despair? Do you know what happens? You want to worship. You just want to worship. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to give you the opportunity to express your joy and your hope by worshiping the one who stepped out of that tomb so we could step into hope. His name is Jesus. Happy Easter, everybody.